Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 39, part two, how Tiffany Yates Martin writes. So last week, we had the first part of this interview with Tiffany where Tiffany and I discussed really like the the building blocks and the fundamentals of what you need to look for when you're hiring an editor. Tiffany is an absolute, complete, total expert in that field. This week's episode is the second part of the interview where we talk more about how as writers, we can kind of write as an editor, think as an editor, and the big things that as an editor, Tiffany sees in writer's work which tends to be the best bang for the buck. So this is a great episode. I am so grateful for Tiffany's wisdom, her advice, her 30 years of experience. So one more time, I want to say thank you to Tiffany. And without any further ado, here is episode 39, part two, how Tiffany Yates Martin writes slash edits. Thanks so much. You're good to go another like 20, 30 yeah. minutes. We'll just keep rolling. Love yeah. to. Okay. So, all right. Now that we have that out, um, you hear a lot of reading like a writer. Um, this, this expression that like, as you read, you kind of read to this writer lens, you know, and you like read differently. I don't do that. In fact, if I'm reading like a writer, I almost always put the book down because I'm like, I'm not that interested in it. Like I like to read like a reader. I just like to read. And if I'm really wrapped up in the story, that's great. Um, and so I want to explore this idea, though, uh, of eventually getting to the point where we're writing like an editor. That's the first part. And editing like a writer. And, and I'm curious if those terms, like if you think about starting to pull in some tactics and tools and um, ways for writers to be editing as they go along or, or even just kind of the big editing kind of pillars that they need to be thinking about as they're writing so that they can mm -hmm. write like a development editor reads, what, what would be like the very first steps that somebody should start thinking about in that process? I think I have to question the premise first for this reason. Yes. One of the things I say, I think in the first chapter of my book is that the editor has no place in the room when the writer is working. Hmm. <laughs> because the editor, can I curse? Yes. Good. The editor is the asshole standing right behind you while you're writing going, really? Or is that the best way to say it? Or just laughing at you. You know, the editor is exactly who you don't want when you are coming from a place of pure creation. I think writing should be pretty much id. The editor comes in with the super, super ego later and helps you tame all that into submission. <laughs> and then, as you said, ego doesn't even belong in the room right. at all, ever. Um, I love but that we that just said, hit Freud on this. Like, I'm, I'm like, this is great. Okay. From Gandalf to Freud. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but here's what I like about what you said. I just want to clarify that because I think a lot of writers do that. We, we're yes. so in our left brain while we're writing that we are hampering 
the part of us that can achieve the glory. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you've opened a door we've got to walk through though. Uh, you know, in, in saying that, like, I can't not then discuss this idea that like so many times when I talk to writers, the, the thing they tell me is that I can't make progress because I am constantly you're judging. You're judging. Every sentence I'm like, that can be better. Every paragraph yeah. I'm like, that can be better. And so as a result, you edit one paragraph 4,000 times. That is and- why the editor shouldn't be in there. Okay, he's so- an asshole and he's a judgy <laughs> bastard yeah, and yeah. he will shut you down creatively. And so, and so how do you split those? Like, how, how is it that you can compartmentalize uh, the editor from the writer so that you can call on one uh, at will or, or at least be able to channel one energy and not the other? That was the hardest thing I had to learn for my own writing, actually, because my, I'm an editor first and foremost, and that's my heart. And that's my favorite thing to do. And so the editor was never out of the room when I was writing and it shut me down. So I, I learned to dissociate it like a low-grade mental illness, but one that you control. Um, there's a few ways to do it. There's a beautiful book by Brenda Uland that I'm going to steal my own thunder here at the end because you always ask about the reincarnation huh. as a yep. book. And this is my book. It's called If You Want to Write. And it's about the creative impulse. And to her, one of her phrases that I love is vomit it onto the page. And you can't do that if the editor is trying to clean it up the whole time you're doing it. <laughs> so that's really esoteric. And it's like, great, how do I not do that? Um, there's two, that's a two-part answer to me. One is once you've had an edit or, or gotten good at editing your own work and getting objective on it, you're going to internalize these skills. And I know you say you don't like to read like a writer, but to me, that is how you do that. I'm, I'm talking sort of a overlapping circles here. So let me, let me back up a little if it's okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. So reading like a writer is where you learn that objective, stepping back, analyzing skill that is going to, that's going to osmose story craft into you so minutely on a cellular level that you will subconsciously be putting that into your writing without trying to when you're writing. But I completely agree with you that picking up a book and reading it analytically is a stone cold drag. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what I always suggest doing is rereading. Like I just finished um, Britt Bennett's The Vanishing Half and it was wonderful on a million levels and I cannot wait to dive back into it and tear it apart in my mind. (laughs) Not like what's wrong with it, but like, okay, how did she structure this? And um, how did she develop this character? So that is a way that it is incredibly useful. You can do it when you're watching TV or movies too. I actually just created an online course about this and I put it up for free because everybody should know how to do this. It's the kind of storytelling learning you can be doing constantly with yeah. commercials, with songs, with anything that you are exposed to in your life. How, how though here, and, and maybe, maybe I'm stealing the thunder from your course and, and I don't want to do that, but how though does, if I am, if I'm literally a writer mm-hmm. um, and maybe we're getting into like book coaching territory now, as opposed to like developmental editing, which is another bucket I wanted to ask about that we didn't get to in the nuts and bolts. So I'll have to maybe weave that in somehow, but how, how though, if I'm a writer today, I sat down this morning, hypothetically to write and mm-hmm. I just spun my wheels on one paragraph over and over and over and over and over again. How is it that I can tactically write the second paragraph tomorrow and an maybe question. maybe even a two paragraphs tomorrow 
So the, so the thing about the stuff I talk about in the book and the kind of storytelling craft that is helpful to you when you're writing is that you're not going to be analyzing is this, am I getting this across with the character? Am I, you know, have I put in the goal, motivation and conflict? If you start getting really, really left brain about it, about it, you're going to cut your creativity off. But you can start to learn to ask yourself certain leading questions mm, that will, yeah, do it. It, it's, do it. it's, this right, is a fun right. way to do it. Like yeah, say, okay, so you're sitting down and let's say you're going to write a scene. These are the things I would ask myself as an author. What needs to happen? in this scene mm -hmm. to move the story forward to the next step in the story arc. Now you also have to know for that. So let's start at the very beginning. You have to know your story question. Right. What's your story question? It's the main thing we're reading for. So like in the hunger games, uh, will Katniss, well, will she survive the hunger games, but more than that, will she be able to keep her family together, save her family together? That's why we're reading the book. So does, does every single scene, serve to move us along that arc that's going to eventually answer that question. Number one, is the scene necessary on that level? Number two, what is the character, whoever the protagonist of the scene is, or the point of view character, what do they want in this scene? What stands in their way in this scene? Um, one really useful question that I often suggest to authors is, how do we know that? Hmm. So it's one thing to say, I know this in my head, Mm -hmm. But how, do, how does someone who, who isn't in your head, how do we know it? Like is how it is it their... expressed on the page? Is that yes. what you mean? Yeah. Yes. Is yeah. it their behavior? Is it their actions? Is it their reactions? Is it their frame of reference? Is it their word choice? Is it what they don't say? Is it the silences? Yeah. It can be this is so, that's so important. things. It's yes. so important. There, there's a, um, I was just talking to, I did this experiment with my eight-year-old daughter, like I think yesterday or the day before. So it's really timely, which is um, there's these wonderful psychological experiments where um, people would basically tap out a beat and uh, they could tap out any song they wanted, but they could only tap it. And then the other person had to guess the song. And it was some, like you would think like if I were to tap out a song, like, like most people would be like, ah, oh, 50, 50 chance you would get the song. And depending on the complexity of the song, it was, it was like, five percent like it was it was remarkable how difficult it was for somebody else to hear the beat whereas the people tapping it were like you're idiots because they could hear <laughs> the song in their head yeah right so like if i would tap out happy birthday in my head i could perfectly hear happy birthday i'm filling in the gaps but what's yeah that's a perfect analogy what's making it outside the taps are not that easy to understand and so like what you're saying is it's like as writers we hear the whole story in our head but we're just giving taps and so like making sure those taps are easy to understand, I feel like yeah. is so, there's 10 times more happening in your brain than what makes on the page. And yeah, it's so that's, I think that's the yeah. root of why yeah. we're never satisfied with the right. story on the page totally. as it lived in our head because we yeah. were filling all that in. So just start asking yourself, how, how is that? How did I show oh, I that? I love that. I how love have that. I shown that? I love that. Um, so if you, if you keep the, oh, and what's at stake? That's for every single scene. Stake? Like, what yeah. is at stake in this scene? And that doesn't have to mean like his life. That can be um, what matters most to the character in this scene. What mm -hmm. drives the character in this scene that's deeper than motivation. Mm -hmm. So if you know basically those questions, then you just kind of follow that little breadcrumb trail. And I will also say, though, that every writer has a different 
process and there yeah. are plotters and there's pantsers. And I think most of us are somewhere in between. Yeah. So maybe you've done all this in the outline stage. Maybe you're figuring it out as you go. There's that whole, you know, quote about driving across country with the headlights on at night mm -hmm. and you can only see 10 feet in front of yeah. you, but you can make the whole trip that way. Well, yes, but <laughs> you also need to have kind of a vague idea that you're moving right. in the right direction, that you're not on a dead end. So um, make sure you have a big picture idea of those basic framing facts. Yeah. And then don't, sometimes I think we, we ruthlessly try to push the story or the characters where we want them to go. And sometimes at a certain point, things have changed in the story and it may not be what you intended, but you got to rock with it because <laughs> they do kind of have a mind of their own sometimes. You ain't it's kidding. a little bit schizophrenic, but <laughs> yeah. you know, my husband and I have this endless <laughs> argument about how I met your mother because I don't know if you're a fan, but no, I've never seen it. Okay. Well, it ended is it, with, is it a show? Is it a movie? It's a TV show. Okay. Okay. And at the end, if they had ended it one episode sooner, it would be a totally different character, two characters ending up together. If they end it one character, one session later, then it's two different characters ending up together. And the justification that the screenwriters gave was, well, from the very beginning of the show, which was like seven or 10 years, we knew that these two were going to end up together. And my argument was, but the show changed. The characters changed right. over the course of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, of a second rewrite right now on a project I'm working on. And the, the difference in the characters from when I first kicked off is, is startling. Like it's not, it's not even remotely the same story. They're not because even they've remotely. developed as you've written them. You mean, um, I, for me, they're the same people. I, I have a very uh, woo-woo concept on characters. Um, like, I, I believe that they're real. <laughs> like, I, like I, I don't see them as being not real. Like, some people are like, I created this character. And I'm like, no, no, for me, the characters are actually real things. I just happen to meet them for a little while. And, um, and so what, what it is for me is more that they tell me the real story. Um, the story I thought I needed to tell. They're like, no, 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 no. That, that's not, that is not why I came to you. I actually want you to tell a different story, a different part about me. And that is where I'm just like, I'm going into a part of you. Uh, it came out bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to experience a part of you I've never experienced. And, and it's a part that I couldn't create. Like it kind of shifts me from being the driver to being, I don't even know. Like I'm just along for the ride in a certain degree. So yeah, you're a, almost a scribe at that point. Stephen King yeah. says in On Writing, um, and I wish I, I never get the quote just right, but he says, you know, when you sit down to write, you create your characters and you know the world they're going to exist in. And then what happens next? He says, you don't know. They will come on stage and yeah. tell you. Yeah. And I love that because yeah. it's a little, like you said, it sounds woo-woo, but if you make these three-dimensional people, they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. And it's right. your job to pay attention. Yeah, totally. I. I think it's one of those magical parts of the storytelling <gasps> process. I always say that writers were almost like paleontologists, right? Where we like are wandering through the desert and then one day we see just a little shard of bone in the ground and we go, oh, that's interesting. And so we have our little toothbrush, you know, and a little <laughs> itty bitty brush and we start like scraping it off. We have no idea what that skeleton is. We have no idea if it's a complete skeleton. We have no idea if it's a huge skeleton. We have no idea. And slowly as we like uncover it, we realize that there's been a skeleton. We didn't put the skeleton in the ground. I didn't do that. My job is just to see where it goes and to see, and to see yeah. what's down there. Um, that, that's how I've come to understand. I did a 
podcast episode on that. Um, okay, so, but anyways, what I want to do is I want to talk about and, and now kind of get more tactical, which is if you had to just guess, like how many books have you developmentally edited in your career? I tried to figure this out. I've been doing this, uh, well, I've been developmental editing for about a dozen years. I've been editing since 92. Okay. So developmentally, oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. All I can say is hundreds. I don't know how many, a lot. (laughs) So of those hundreds of books, um, one of the things that I love about doing the podcast is as we get more and more people and I interview more and more people and I have more exposure, I can start to see themes and trends that if you just looked at one person or one experience, wouldn't be clear. There's, there's something about um, being able to see a bigger picture that presents a different insight. And so I'm curious, as you've edited hundreds of books, which not many people on the planet have had that luxury, have been able to do that, I'm curious if you've seen certain trends or cert- you have certain insights from develop- or editing that many books that are really consistent. So are there certain things that you are always looking to develop with writers? Are there certain things that can always be twisted? Are there things that are, you know, the, the big three that generally need to get a once over in the editing process? Every manuscript's different, honestly, but the things, well, it's funny you say big three, cause I call it the Holy Trinity. <laughs> the three things that I think have to be rock solid um, are character stakes and plot because we don't care what's happening till we care who it's happening to. And we don't care about what's happening to them unless they desperately care. And then the plot is how you, is the vehicle, you know, it's the road that gets them on this journey that we're going on. But then also like things that I commonly see don't um, always come across in an early draft are things like momentum, the momentum of your story, which is different from pace. Pace is like how quickly your scenes move and and the action itself. Momentum is the constant forward movement of the story. And that should literally be nonstop. That story should always be moving forward. That doesn't mean it's galloping like an action, everything's an action adventure. It just means every single thing should progress the story along its arc. Can I I pause you for a second? I want to call something out. What you're saying is, the pace of a scene, while a scene might be paced slower, mm-hmm. the momentum in that scene should still be building. So throughout yeah. the story, the momentum line is always, I'm trying to do it on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not doing well. It's always, every scene is building momentum while the pace of a scene might fluctuate. Every scene maintains momentum. The way maintains, I always say it is that like, momentum. think of momentum. Let's say you're right. taking a cross country trip. Momentum is that the car stays in motion toward your destination the whole time. Pace is how fast you're driving. The okay. Mississippi River and Niagara Falls both have momentum, but they move at a really different pace. So how do you square that? A lot of times when you're, when you're um, reading books on how to write books, it says to build tension. How, how do you square momentum with building tension? Tension is a tool for keeping momentum moving generally. Tension is, and tension is often used interchangeably with suspense. So kind of like momentum and pace, they're little handmaidens to each other. Tension and suspense are a little bit different. I think of suspense as uh, creating a question in the reader's mind. What happens next? What's she going to do? Why did he do that? Tension is friction, conflict, obstacles. And those two work together. And both of those elements work together to create momentum. Mm. 
it's the thing, you know, suspense needing to know the answer to the question is why we turn the pages. Mm-hmm. And that's momentum. But, but what I really mean by momentum is that you've got this story arc. You've got your character at point A and point B. And story is the journey between the two. If you get on a plane and you get off in the same place where you boarded, you haven't gone anywhere. So you've right. got to take us somewhere else. Right. And then momentum is the fact that every single scene in the story should serve to move us farther along that arc. Okay. That is, that is a very, I've never heard it explained that way. So it's very helpful breakdown of it. A lot of times, a lot of times you hear um, pace, tension, uh, suspense, sometimes momentum um, seems to me before this, this chat, which is why I have the best job in the world, um, would have been maybe something that was um, inter, like it's a word like intertwined with tension. Like, like it's basically yeah. the same thing, but for it, most but it people, like, I think it is. Yeah. But it, yeah. But you, you seem to be saying from a certain point is probably like the inciting incident when like momentum kind of picks up because before that you're kind of setting the stage and then all of a sudden kapowie something changes in that character's life now all of a sudden there's momentum driving them towards an outcome and that momentum well, should be momentum from the very first moment i mean if you okay. think about a story it's a train right you're boarding the train and the train if you just sit there <laughs> for a while till you get going that's no fun so the minute you get on the train you should start moving and yep. you should never stop moving. But maybe sometimes you're going supersonic <laughs> and sometimes you're slowing down and looking at the scenery. And that's pace. Got it. Okay. But, but the momentum of the train is nonstop. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. This is super helpful. Okay. So, so I got totally distracted of where we were on our big three, the holy, the holy trifecta. Yeah. So you were asking like things I see a lot. So I always make sure those three are solid and in place, but then every, I mean, there is no unimportant element of story, but the stuff Mm. I see most often would be characters who um, are not fully fleshed or who are not driving the story. The character has to be the engine of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, I might see, so I always say um, action isn't plot and plot isn't story. So sometimes you'll see like, really interesting things, a whole bunch of really interesting things, yeah. but that's just action. It's not yeah. plot unless it's serving to move your character along that journey. And it's not story until it is essential for the character's transformation from point A to point B. Yeah. 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 So we I see you get episodic if you do just a bunch of stuff right. happening. Um, I see stakes that aren't fully developed. So we're not as invested as we could be. Um, yeah. One really common one really common thing about that is that um, I don't know what I was going to say. Sorry. This okay. happens every now and then. Cause that's okay. We've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes of amazing editing discussion. So, <laughs> um, I, I want to ask one, one last question for you before we get into our final four or is it five questions? Five, you said now. I know. Bonus. I know. I know. Final, final five. There's, there's lots of new stuff happening in this podcast. This is, this is like we're uncharted territory here. Um, in our prep call, something stuck, stood out to me and I wanted to ask you about it. And um, you said writing, um, intuitive editing was like a bucket list project for you. Like it really meant a lot to you. Yeah. And I wanted to just, just so the readers or listeners out there had a sense, like what was it that made writing a book on editing like one of those big things you really wanted to do and spend your, your time on? Partly because I do see a lot of the same things over and over, but I, I love craft books like all of us, right? I mean, I think we all have, I'm looking at your bookshelves right now and you have <laughs> a number of books back there. I'm betting your craft books and I do too. There's, there's two shelves you can't see off screen. That are just <laughs> all right. I mean, I love that stuff, but 
so I knew that if I was going to put something out there, it had to be, you can't just regurgitate the same stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think makes me effective as an editor is that um, I think I do it in a little bit different way. Like the questions, the, the way that I angle it, I, I, my take on a craft sometimes, while I respect so much of it and I really learn a lot from it, is sometimes it feels like this rigid set of dogma that you impose on your story from the outside. Mm-hmm. And the way that I think of story is that it's like uh, something that grows organically from the inside and you have to find the right fertilizer, <laughs> to use a terrible <laughs> metaphor. Um, so, so it's a different, it's an inside out way of working that I hadn't really seen before. And I really have had a lot of great feedback from authors that I've worked with who say that it's been really helpful to them or uh, help them see their story in a new way, or it was deeper than anything they'd done. And it really, you know, expanded what creativity was for them. And it's, I'm really passionate about that, Mm. about making it something that's, I think editing is absolutely joyful. I think revising is some of the best work of writing and they are intrinsically connected. And I think it's where, the rubber meets the road and you, you know, it's, and I'm not going to say it's easy to write a draft because it absolutely is not, but it's a lot easier to write a draft, I think, than it is to do the sometimes tedious work of editing it. But that really is, that's the hours and hours of violin practice. It may not be fun, but it's how you become a virtuoso. Yeah. I I had, I had somebody call me who had finished a manuscript um, and they were like three months into editing sobbing. And um, <laughs> this person, this person was like, I thought, I thought the hard part was writing the manuscript. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's different for everybody. So for some people, maybe, maybe it's not that challenging, but I think most people find the editing process to be um, very, like you said, incredibly rewarding. And it, and it really is where as a writer, you, you make your mark. Um, but it's challenging. It is hard. It work. is. It's yeah, kind of, I had one author work. liken yeah. it to, yeah. she said she thinks of it as orange theory. She said, I, <laughs> I don't like going and I don't like it while I'm doing it. But after I did it, I'm so glad I did it. I feel so much better. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy. Okay, well, I, I have still so many different things I want to talk to you about. But uh, for the sake of time, um, both this podcast episode and your time. <laughs> I want I want to start wrapping this up, and um, I'd kind of given you a heads up on this, but but now things are changing. I'm going to ask you now five final questions. Okay. Uh, so so we're right around episode forty. So I, I I suppose every like you know eight episodes I have to add a new question, but um, we're now at episode forty and uh, ish, and so I'm going to ask you five questions. I ask every single guest the same questions. Um, except for the first one that I'll ask you. So let's get started with it. So the first question is this. We're all word people. We all like to write. Um, if you had to express yourself with just one word, what word would that be? You're starting with this one, huh? I sure am. Okay. Um, so the first, I'm going to say the first thing that popped into my mind, and then I'm going to sort of say the better one that popped into my mind. The first thing, but they're the same word, kind of. The first thing that plucked it, that popped into my mind was plucky. Plucky. <laughs> and then I, plucky. And then I thought, yeah. no, that's what I mean, I think, is resilient. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it's sort of, I guess it's like editing or being an editor to me. It's, 
stuff's going to get thrown at you and it's not always going to be great stuff, Hmm. but, but, and you'll never be done with it. You know what I mean? Like you will never be done with the hard stuff and there will never be security and safety. And this applies for writing. It applies to life, but that's okay. And so you learn to sort of roll with the punches and take the good stuff and just glory in it while it's happening. And then when the bad stuff comes, know that this too shall pass. Yeah. I love that. What a great, I I mean, that fills my heart up so much that that's the first answer to that question. Like it truly does. I'm just like, (laughs) okay. Uh, All right. Next question. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you were to die and get reincarnated as a book, it would be this book. Which book would it be? I think I have to say the one that I mentioned earlier that okay. if you if you want to write by Brenda Eulen, this was written okay. in 19, it was published in 1938. Okay. This woman was born in 1891. She oh, was I a writer that. and an editor at the early part yeah. of the last century and this is just the most beautiful um like honoring of the creative spirit. And I read it for the first time when I was an actor. So it's applicable to any art, but it's so wonderful for writers. And it's just about yeah. tapping into that creative impulse. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. That that book will uh, get some Amazon sales. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, so uh, third question. I almost said second, old habits. Now it's the third question. Is there a specific tool? Can be anything at all? Pencil, software, chair, cigarette? one that you absolutely must have to write. (laughs) Boy, it'd be sad if it were wine. Um, (laughs) Silence. I have to have total silence Okay. to edit too. No music. Nothing. And I love music. And I think that's the problem. I go into the music. And so I have to just nothing. My dog snoring is about all I can take. That's that's interesting because I I will immediately short out if I'm in silence. Are you a coffee shop writer? I don't understand you people. No, I'm not. I'm not coffee shop writer, but I have to listen to um, some kind of music. Really? I have to. It doesn't distract you. I know a lot of writers who do that. Like they have soundtracks for their stories, but for me, it's like, I'll be out of the world. Yeah, I can't. Generally, I'm not listening to music. It's music. It it can't be music that I'm listening to the lyrics on. And Mm. so it either has to be um, like classical or like hip hop beats or is it music that I've li- literally listened to so many times that I don't even hear it anymore? Um, why, like and why is that? Album. Why do you need, me- what, what does the music people, do for you? People say it's, um, when I was a kid, I'm not sure much I believe in this, but when I was a kid, I got like one of those, like I think I got like seven out of eight on the ADHD score. <laughs> <laughs> and people say it's, it's something for that. I, I don't know what it is. It just occupies my mind like, in a does way. Does it focus you? Yeah, it does. It does. It, okay. it greatly focuses me. And um, if I'm silent, my brain will just spin out. Like I'll just, who knows where I'll go. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I love so how it, everybody is different yeah, in this totally. field. That's why I do this because it's, it's, that's why I do these questions because the diversity of answers is so fun. Like everyone's different. Everyone has their own <laughs> way. Okay. Question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? That's the plucky thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I love this question. And you sort of hit on it when you talked about your North Star. I have recently come to see that if you very concretely identify your why Mm. for what you're doing, that's the thing that sustains you. Yeah. During all the ups and downs, that's the thing you keep coming back to, and that is your 
your through line, your North Star, as you said. Yeah. Is, is that a call out to Simon Sinek by any chance? Is it what? A call out to Simon Sinek. His, um, I, I guess Why. not, because I yeah. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a great book, if anybody wants, wants to dive into that, there's a great book called Start With Why. That is a really powerful way to um, work through that. It frees like, you. It yeah. frees you from mm -hmm. everything else. Like you said, if yeah. you're looking to get acclaim or praise or whatever, if, if that's not, I mean, no, if that's your why, good for you, but right. know what your why is because right. then that's the reason you're doing this. Right. It's, e it's easy to say yes and no to things when, yeah. when, you, when you know what to evaluate against. And it's yeah. easy to stand back up again when you get, as I did, <laughs> right. 113 rejections before you get your agent. Oh <laughs> you just oh keep reminding God. yourself about your why. Uh. That's a topic for another time. I, I would love to dive into that. Um, okay, fifth question. Here we are. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? For many years, my answer for this has been persistence. And it still is in part, but just lately, I think I'm going to change it for the first time on this groundbreaking show you're doing. <laughs> um, I think to be kind to yourself uh, and to others, frankly. This is a community that is unbelievably supportive if you dive into that. But more than that, it's a business where you're gonna face a lot of rejection and a lot of hard feedback and a lot of difficult things because this is such a vulnerable thing. And so I think that the default tendency most of us have, maybe I'm just revealing too much about my own psyche is to attack ourselves and to yeah. betray ourselves. And one of the things I think I told you in my, uh, when we first talked is that I love about your podcast is that you treat other writers and your own writing with so much respect and dignity and seriousness. And I think we have to get good at doing that for our own work and yeah. hold it up in a place of honor because mm. there's a million things that are going to come at you that are the antithesis of that. And so that's, that's what you always have. Mm. That's a, that's such a beautiful way to wrap up this podcast to be kind to yourself. I, I mean, really putting a point on that. Um, I feel very moved hearing that because it's really easy. It's easier sometimes to be nicer to other people than it is oh, to look at yourself so much easier and to be nice and to be kind and loving and generous to yourself. Um, and so it, I, I'm so happy to hear that as your answer. It's such a beautiful answer. Thanks. It'll be my new one now. But also persist because <laughs> also this is persist. a tough business. Kind, kind, <laughs> persist it, kindly. Kindly persist, yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much. This has been um, such a fun interview. I feel like I've learned so much about parts of the writing world, like writing life. I feel like there's another you know, two depths to go into some of this. Um, but I appreciate so much you sharing. Yeah. I mean, like decades of experience with me and with the listeners. I mean, we are so much, uh, you know, we are, we are so, I am so grateful and I'm sure the listeners are so grateful for uh, your openness and, and just how much you've, you've shared with us today. Thanks. I'm grateful that you invited me on and to get to share this stuff. It's important, I think, to know, and it's something that doesn't get discussed as often as all yeah. the writer stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And uh, what a ride on the How Writers Edit podcast. <laughs> thank you again to Tiffany for her time. And if you haven't yet, I say this every week, 
please go rate and review our wonderful little podcast here. It helps so much. It helps spread the word, helps give us feedback, and it just means the world to me. Also, check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, wherever you might be. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.